House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. We, we talk about religion and different things, and we're going to be focusing on a little bit of the um, Mormon Church and Warren Jeffs. There's a new uh, show going to be broadcast on A&E. And I'm sure you've heard of it before. And, oh, uh, yes. Yeah, and that's the Warren Jeffs. It's uh, Prophet of Evil. And uh, the premiere is, of course, Monday, and that's February 19th. And it's 9 p.m. Eastern or Pacific. And that's uh, A&E, so you check your local cable or satellite provider. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to talk to someone that is on the um, documentary as well as uh, she's had quite a, quite a little experience with Warren Jeffs and the FLDS Church. And so uh, it's good to get it firsthand. Um, I was going to say, you know, it speaks of Christmas. And, you know, when you have eight wives, who do you go? Who's <laughs> <laughs> they all have to come to you. Yeah, I guess, you know. But that's, uh, So now um, joining us, and we're p pleased to have her, is Alisa Wall. And um, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me today. Okay. I, 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 so tell me how you got involved, first of all, with the documentary that's coming on. My involvement um, comes from a long history of being an advocate. Um, because I grew up inside the FLDS, and I've been very active in prosecuting Warren Jeffs and taking down the leadership of the FLDS and creating a lot of change within this religious cult. I've, uh, I'm often approached when asked for information and um, contributing on projects to do with highlighting Warren Jeffs and the very secret group of the FLDS. So, so for those that don't know, the, uh, the F the, the, the FLDS, that's the uh, kind of the original branch that uh, believed in polygamy and during the statehood um, offer they you know the Mormon church was supposed to give that up so they kind of split I guess that would be the best way to say it and they remain true to the original concept of it and the, the mainstream church now doesn't do polygamy and that's that's kind of how we understand it it that's correct right Mostly correct, yes. Yeah. So the FLDS stands for Fundamentalist um, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and so they are a fundamentalist break-off group of the traditional Mormon faith. It broke off many years ago when polygamy was um, made illegal within the state of Utah, um, and like many other break-off Mormon groups, they follow, the tra they follow a core um, belief system of Mormonism, but they have altered it many times over in their um, history, depending on which um, fundamentalist group you're a part of. Yeah. And, and so, uh, of course, you grew up that way. You were, you were born into that religion. So in your young days, you didn't know any different, did you? Like that was just how everything was. Yes. I was born into this. Um, my father was actually a convert into the FLDS um, religious cult. And my mother was born into it. So I'm a multi-generational um, member of the, the church by the time I was born. And we were very secluded from the outside world. By the time I came along, um, they were extremists in as much as they believed that they were God's elite people. 
And so by that um, belief system, they kept themselves separate from society. Even though I was born and raised in, in the heart of Salt Lake City, Utah, we lived very much to ourselves. We only attended a religious school. We only interacted with, with cult members. We only um, got to be involved in anything to do with what was going on within our own religion. Now, let's, let's tell the listeners, if they don't know who, who you are, kind of what your history was, because uh, uh, you had written a book called Stolen Innocence, and uh, this was kind of about uh, your marriage and, and life. So how, how did you get involved with Warren Jeffs? How did you come across Warren Jeffs and uh, pinpoint on him? Yes. Um, so I was born into the FLDS cult. Um, I was the 19th child of my father's 24 children. My mother was his second wife, and he originally, I mean, ultimately had three wives. And so we grew up in a very large family. Um, polygamy was a way of life for people within the FLDS. Um, that was what every man aspired to have was a polygamous family with multiple wives. Um, and for the, those that don't understand the belief of the FLDS, they are a Mormon break-off, and so they have a lot of the traditional um, Joseph Smith beliefs. Um, and a lot of their life is lived to have a better afterlife. And so a lot of the beliefs in the day-to-day lifestyles of those of us that lived there it was all about sacrificing this life for a better life um, to come. And the church really controlled everything about our life. You know, we were educated by the church. We were... Um, cultivated by the church, we were brainwashed by the church, and so by the time I was 13 years old, I was created to be one thing and one thing only. I was going to be a wife and a mother to a man who hopefully had many, many wives and hundreds of children. And the women, we are groomed and bred to be submissive. We are bred to um, be at the beck and call of our husbands and to really build up his life and his kingdom. That became very apparent in my life because at the age of 14, um, I was given to my first cousin as a wife in an arranged marriage. Um, Even though I was bred to be a wife, at the age of 14, I was very unprepared and I was resistant to this arranged marriage. That was very uncalled for within our religion because women, we just did what we were told. And if we were said, if we were told that you have a place for you as a wife, then you said, okay. I didn't do that, and I, I was an anomaly within my community, and I fought it pretty hard. I begged and I pleaded that I didn't need to be married and that I could at least wait until I was 16 years old. And more than anything else, I was terrified to marry my cousin. It was someone that I had known my whole life, and I, I didn't like him, and it was very hard for me to um, deal with this idea that I would be his wife and I would be having his children, and ultimately I would live in eternity with him. I was exposed to extreme abuse for about three years after the marriage. Um, I was sexually, physically, and mentally abused consistently during that time. And around the age of 18, I had had enough. Um, An opportunity came up where I was allowed to be released or divorced from this man, and I used that as an opportunity to escape this cult and the very close... Um, closely guarded community that I lived in. What I mean by escape is I left in the middle of the night um, under the cover of darkness. And to leave that cult, you really leave everything behind. You leave your family, you leave everything you know of the world, and you enter as a refugee into the average American society. 
Wow, Elisa, I mean, you said so much there. Uh, so many, so many questions. Um, let's go back to the beginning and, and let's unpack a little bit of this. Now, you were brought up with this just, and this is just an understanding. This is your training. This is what you're meant to do, is to, to be a wife. So, how was, I mean, how, what was it that came into, you know, that, that came to light that you were so opposed to, to this arranged marriage, if this is simply the way it's supposed to be? That is a very good question, and one that sometimes I still try and answer for myself. I always ask myself, what was it that gave me the grit and the um, <laughs> daring to, to fight it? And I really boil it down to, I think we all have a sense of human spirit within us, and there's this, there's this something that makes us human that connects us all. And deep down inside, I knew something was wrong. I, I knew that this, that it wasn't right for me, but I really think at the time it was out of fear, and it was out of terror, because I didn't want to belong to this, this cousin of mine for my whole life. And even though I was bred to be something, there was still that, that human spirit within me that couldn't be broken, even at that young age. Now, um, be, before the show, in, in preparation for this show, Al and I was doing some homework, and we were discussing the polygamous philosophy. And a, a lot of our understanding in today's society comes from shows like Big Love or Sister Wives, and now, good Lord, like we need another one, Seeking Sister Wives is <laughs> about to come out. But what... How do they justify the philosophy of polygamy? I understand what you said, you know, where we're trying to become gods and we have to populate worlds and this is our goal, but how do they justify it when other, you know, they, as you describe it, are a break-off, they're a cult, in your words, how do they continue to justify it when other branches of Mormonism have looked on this and said, you know what, this really isn't necessary, this really isn't working out for us. I think I have multiple answers, and, and we could really break it down, but to kind of keep it simple for the audience, I, I think with any extremist group, whenever someone has the ability to manipulate someone's mind, it's pretty crazy what they can introduce and get people to, to live with. How do the people of the SLDS reconcile this practice of polygamy? It's because it's the only thing they've really ever known. This particular secular group of the SLDS, they do not allow converts. They haven't allowed them for quite some time. And so one way of doing that is they eliminate any outside influence that can come in and question. For anybody that's lived that lifestyle, it's a multi-generational um, compounding problem. And so there's never a question. It never pops up, oh, well, this, these people don't live for me. The other big piece of this is that there's these really ingrained, deep-seated beliefs that they are God's chosen people. And because polygamy within the Mormon faith was originally introduced by Joseph Smith, who was the founder of the Mormon faith, and um, other um, people, prophets to come after him also lived the practice of polygamy, there's this underlying belief that they are living God's true way. 
and they, they stem examples from the Bible and other religious texts of pri um, previous religious men who also lived the practice of polygamy. So for polygamy, it's a central tendency in their religion that leads them to the ultimate, um, you know, gift of being with God. Hmm. Now, now, this leads me to, to one more question, and I promise I'll, I'll shut up for just a little bit. Like you said, this is not a new practice for the fundamentalist Mormons. It, it's an old practice. If they are going to give you, at, at the age of 13, I believe, no, I'm sorry, 14, you were basically given to your first cousin. And they don't allow outside influence, which I'm assuming means there's not going to be any outside bloodlines coming in. Do they not understand that this could possibly lead to some genetic problems? I, I think that the, maybe the hierarchy understood that, but as a member within this community and as that girl being forced to marry her first cousin, that never was proposed as a concern. And there's also these beliefs that they have that God's um, law and God's, you know, will will supersede everything. It will supersede genetics. It will supersede laws of land. It will supersede anything that we think is restraining us from doing God's will. <clears throat> and so the people of the SLBS and very um, similar beliefs within other cults is that there's no such thing as genetic constraints. And so there's not really this concern about any kind of problems that will arise from marrying within these bloodlines that are so closely related. And yes, it does propose a lot of problems. The people of the FLDS historically have some very high um, rates of birth defects and mental defects that are specifically tied to genetic crossing over of too closely marrying and um, procreating. Now, it's, it's suggested that Warren Jeff still runs um, the church from prison and he's still behind a lot of things that goes on now after your you know um, being a testimony against him um, do you worry about some sort of retribution or some some people coming after you I think <laughs> I have um, just transcended that worry I have realized that um, fanaticism creates anything really and there are people that will forever and always be fanatical believers of Warren Jeff in all this history in the last 15 years of um, you know the in information that's come out about Warren Jeff and the things that he's doing to these little girls and the things that he's doing to these people the, the reason for this is, is Warren was very effective at being able to remove um, this belief that people had in God and it became a belief in Warren and so it's this blind, undescribable, intangible um, connection that they feel towards Warren Jeff. And so he will always have a sense of control. So for those of us who have become advocates, who have left the church and are determined to bring it down, are determined to assist people in their journey of leaving the same cult and integrating into um, average society, yes, there is a concern. There's always a concern. But I've learned that the more that I confront these people, the more that I confront these issues, the more empowerment that I create for myself and the people around me. So, I've chosen to actually move back into my childhood town where this group resided for many, many years. And so 
I mean, obviously, if I was afraid, <laughs> then I moved to the wrong place for it. But I've also learned that um, by confronting these people and showing my face and being involved in the community and being involved where they can see that I'm not a terrible person, that I haven't been burned or, or raped or murdered, and that all these terrible things they've been told about the outside world have not happened to me is one more piece of proof that maybe they can hold on to and make their own choices. So I was going to say that you, you've moved back to your old stomping grounds, and how do people treat you in general? How, do, how are people in, in town with you? Well, this particular town of Hildell and Claro City, right there on the border of Utah and Arizona, refer to Short Creek, and people will see that pop up in this documentary quite a bit. The, the dynamics of this town are changing dramatically because of what has happened over the last decade um, as far as putting more unjust in prison, the state of Texas and surrounding um, areas really working hard to prosecute crimes that have occurred by the people of the FLDS. We're seeing quite a bit of shifts and changes happen within the FLDS as a whole. Specifically in this town, the ratio of people that are part of this religious cult versus those who have left, made a life for themselves on the outside, or choosing to move back in is constantly shifting and changing. And so moving here, I, you know, I could get any reception. We still have the people that are, that are very strong believers in Warren and strong believers in the FLDS faith who they will literally run the other direction if you see them at a store or if you happen to run into them at the post office or these different things. And then you have the people that are just making their journey on the outside who are starting to wake up, who are being given information and assistance in, in creating their own life, who will come to you and, you know, in tears. And, and it's that moment of connection that we all fight for where we get to reconnect those loved ones that we left behind and we get to celebrate as they are making their own journey to freedom and to choice and to creating the life that they want to lead. After all of these years, um, and it's passed, um, what's your feelings on Warren Jeffs now? My feelings on Warren Jeffs is he is a very uh, manipulative, narcissistic, evil man. Um, I think that it's very difficult for those of us who have left and really seen the depths of the horror and tragedy, tragedy that he created. Um, you know, there was a time where I hated him. I despised him. I, I, you know, in my process of healing, I would have done anything to have five minutes in a, an empty room with him because he created so much anguish and pain and scars in my own life. But I have to live every day knowing that he's continuing to do that to the people around me. I think since then I have been able to understand that by hating him and by having these vicious, vile feelings towards him, he was still controlling me in his own way. He still had a sense of control. And so one of my passions has been to help people understand that by letting Warren go and seeing him as the small, insignificant man that he really is, I mean, he's sitting for life in a prison cell. It allows us to let go of those feelings of hate and to just see him as he really is. And that empowers those of us around us, including ourselves, to continue to just take one more step forward in our own journey of healing. So what's your day-to-day -day life like now? Like what is it that you focus on now with your life? <clears throat> I'm so heavily involved as an advocate for the people of the FLDS. I'm... Um, 
closely tied with multiple <clears throat> foundations that focus solely on assisting people coming from religious cults, similar to the FLDS. I'm connected with Holding Out Help. It's a wonderful group in Salt Lake that does everything from safe housing, clear up to helping people get counseling and education. I'm connected with um, other groups, the Diversity Foundation, and different organizations that are solely focused on people integrating into society and how we can best help them. My day-to-day -day life within the town of Short Creek, I live in Hillbell, Utah, but I own a business in Colorado City. And so I'm very connected with both cities. And you know, we've seen a lot of progress over this last year, but we have a lot of work to do. And so a lot of my daily work has to do with um, finding ways to assist this community, whether that's through empowering the citizens to become voters and to vote in a new city council like they did last November, and we are going to be doing again for the next city. Um, you know, these are historic things that we are doing within this town, and um, that's a huge piece of what I do. And I'm also heavily involved in school systems close by because that is the number one thing that creates change within these small groups is getting education into the homes, starting to educate children as well as the parents. But also as a business owner in this community, I get the wonderful opportunity of hiring people in this town, in this, in this area where women and, and children and men have not necessarily been empowered to take on their own career. And so it's a wonderful chance for me to connect with them and, and help kind of um, mentor them as they go through getting their first job and learning how to get into the workforce. And, you know, they're incredible workers. It's just helping them apply their work ethic and their skill sets into an avenue that can help them create an income and become economically stable. Uh, let me thank you for your advocacy uh, for them. And you having lived through that and, and going through all that, that torment and that anguish, what are your thoughts when you see people on television exploiting this, such as I mentioned earlier, the sister wives? What is your feeling inside when you see that on the screen? I think originally I kind of was angry because I felt like they were romanticizing a very complex lifestyle. Um, I also have a very one perspective of polygamy, and that is the polygamy that is practiced within the FLDS and within my own home and family. And it was not pretty. It was not difficult. I think when you um, debase a woman to such a point that she's property, um, no matter how much you brainwash her, there's going to be natural instincts that kick in. And so we, we saw a lot of that within the way that polygamy was practiced within the FLDS. I think also that um, with any television or a lot of media, um, there's a lot of really important details that are left out. You know, it's about, it's about creating a show. And I, I am always concerned that people that are watching these shows are not getting the full picture. And so in some ways, it creates at least some education that polygamy is something that's practiced in um, modern American society, but in others, I hope that people that are watching this empower themselves enough to understand there is more to the story than what they're seeing on the screen. And those characters that are on that screen are often scripted, and um, the reality is, is what you're seeing is probably not what is actually happening. Oh, wow. Um, well, there, you know, it, it seems nowadays in society, you know, they are trying to seek a balance 
And I think it's purely accidental because there is another show that I'm familiar with. It's called Escaping Polygamy. Now, what are your thoughts on, on that? I, I'd like to get your comments on, on that. Um, I can definitely give somewhat of my expertise on that. <clears throat> um, I think they are showing two sides of, of a coin. They're showing two very different spectrums. You know, you have um, people that are advocating for polygamy because they're living it and they feel like that it's a, a, a very happy lifestyle, that it, it has great separate perspectives. It is helpful in a lot of ways. And we are seeing that as um, this topic becomes more open, and more out in society, we're seeing problems that have to be faced, and that is, you know, within the state of Utah, where a lot of these shows originate, polygamy is currently illegal, but we have a government that is hesitant and almost um, not willing to prosecute any of it. And so it creates this really interesting dichotomy within any community where you have people that are actively living an illegal lifestyle and they're advocating for this lifestyle, and they're wanting rights, and they're wanting, um, you know, their own freedom to live this lifestyle. But then you have the flip side of the escaping polygamy, where people are being hurt and severely abused within this lifestyle. And so it presents a problem that we as a society have to create just as complex of an answer as it is a complex problem. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this question. And what was your experience, and I understand you, you've kind of briefly, uh, you know, discussed it, but how complicated is a multiple marriage? It, you know, what was your place, or were you in a multiple wife situation? I was born into a polygamous family, and so it was a way of life as a child of a polygamous family. I was not married into a polygamous relationship although I knew that I would be married into a, a polygamous relationship as I became worthy of having a sister wife and my husband became worthy of having another wife. My experience of it was is that <clears throat> because women and men and everyone is, is so dramatically different, I think when you're putting people in a situation to where they have to share a husband, it creates some very difficult um, human responses. You know, there's jealousy, there's this deep need to, to belong somewhere and this, and this need to, um, to be loved. And often within a polygamous lifestyle, there's this these, these sense of um, loss because you don't have your husband fully to yourself. And I think on the other flip side, it, I've seen a lot of men that have lived polygamy that had a very difficult time. You know, women can be very fierce and powerful creatures, which is beautiful, but when you put them in a position to where they're, they're on the defense and they're, they're trying to advocate for themselves and they have no way to do it, then it presents a big problem for the men. And so the men are often caught in these vicious um, wars back and forth and these difficulties that come with it. On the, another note of this, <clears throat> it really subscribes to a very um, archaic concept that women and men are higher or lower than each other because, you know, the man is the head of his household and the women are sharing the position of his wife, it creates such a deep sense of equality. And I know a lot of people would argue with me on this, and I completely understand their perspective, 
But that sense of equality really bleeds into everything else. It bleeds into the children as the children are competing against each other. It bleeds into this constant need for the woman to prove themselves. And it, it just creates so many um, side effect problems that can compound and make it very difficult. So in my experience, it was not an environment that I would have ever wanted myself or my children to live in. I did not enjoy coming from a polygamous family because there's a lot of there's a lot of painful memories. But I also have a large family and I have a lot of siblings and I love each and every single one of them and I'm grateful for it. And I think I've had to learn how to be resilient despite the way that I was raised. Just uh, amazing what you've been through. Um, now, tell, tell everybody about your book. I guess you've got a book as well. It's called Stolen Innocence, and it can be uh, purchased at all stores? Uh, it's, it's actually an older book. It's almost about to have its 10-year anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> so I wrote it when I was very young, um, and I wrote it at a time when I was um, still very uh, much going through that journey. So I think when people read the book, as they'll also be able to watch in this piece that's coming out on a &E, you know, it's a very personal journey. <clears throat> After I escaped the FLDS, you know, I um, worked very hard to protect my younger sisters from experiencing what I did. You know, I ultimately um, testified against Warren Jeff in a court of law within the state of Utah for his, um, for, for his influence on forcing me to be married. He was convicted by a jury, and he was sentenced to life in prison in Utah. Um, and so during that, that um, process of, of being involved in that historic and internationally covered trial, I began to understand how much the outside world did not know about this secret lifestyle. And I know I, I should have known better, but I was shocked how many people did not want to believe that this lifestyle was happening within modern America. And there was a lot of this onslaught from the outside world that, you know, they didn't want to believe it. And so my book really was... That's what burst my book was understanding that I had an opportunity to create more education within the world. And so that's what inspired me to write a book and start my advocacy work of being, being public and, and being on a variety of different news stories and these different things was to bring awareness because I fully believe the more that we can create information for the generations to come about some of the mistakes that we as, huma as humanity have created, we can prevent that for the future. And so things like my book, Stolen Innocence, and now there's tons of other books on the market about this topic of the FLDS and fundamentalist um, and polygamous lifestyles. People can educate themselves of what is happening, and hopefully that will prevent future pain and suffering for humanity in the future. Wow. Yeah, well, we appreciate that. And uh, again, and the A&E documentary will be out on uh, Monday, February 19th, 9 p.m. Eastern or Pacific. Um, check your local s s providers to find out in your area how to, how to watch. Um, again, our guest has been Elisa Walls. Thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you very much. Thank you very, very much. Pardon me. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media.
I'll be back.